Our scripture reading for today is found in the third chapter of 1 Peter, verses 8 through 12. Prepare your heart and mind now for the reading of holy text. Finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with blessing. It is for this that you are called, that you might inherit a blessing. For those who desire life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Do you happen to know the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in Scripture? Do you know where it is? The longest recorded prayer is about a chapter long, and it's actually in the Gospel of John. It was at the Last Supper, we believe, and John's uh, gospel gives us several chapters in a row of what happened at the table where Jesus is sitting with his disciples, where he serves communion to them for that first time, and where he washes their feet. There's this long prayer, chapter 17, again, almost an entire chapter, where Jesus prays for his disciples, both the ones around the table and those who had followed him around Judea and into Jerusalem as well as those who would come to believe in him later. That would be you and me, right? Jesus prays not only for the disciples then, but for the disciples of all time. And the one thing that Jesus over and over and over again prays for in that prayer, in John 17, is that his disciples would be one, that they would be unified in him. In fact, if you were to look at the window directly above the choir, there's this beautiful imagery here. And in that imagery on the outside, Pastor Kip used to tell people that this ring around the outside is gold and it has this branch going through it, this ivy, this long, if you will, vine going around it. And it reminds us of the vows that we make with God and when we get married, but it also is that image of the vine and we are the branches, right? Jesus says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. There is a unity to Jesus that helps us stay united to others on the vine. Unity to Jesus, unity to others on the vine. This is what Jesus is praying for, that we would stay connected to him and that we might remain one, even though we would be different, even though we might have different views on things, that we might remain one in him. 
You know, Paul talks about the body of Christ in Romans chapter 12. I believe we mentioned this last week, that Romans chapter 12 tells us that that each and every Christian is part of the body of Christ. We're all different members of the body, but we're all connected together in him. And he talks about how the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you, right? They're interconnected. They rely on each other. The body of Christ is not all heads and not all feet. The body of Christ is unique people woven together, knit together into the body of Christ. John's gospel, the 17th chapter, is not the only place where unity is mentioned like this. It's a common theme throughout the New Testament. In fact, if you look at some of the letters of Paul, what ultimately he's dealing with is a lack of unity. There's dissension in the early churches. I know you can't believe that. That not everybody agreed in the church. But not everybody did agree. And they ended up finding ways to be united through Christ and through a common purpose. But along the way, they had to be helped to that by people like Paul or even Peter that we read about in today's scripture. People often lose focus and drift away. And it's the people in the church that lead us back to unity that help us stay connected to be abiding in Christ, unified together. Unity is not only an important feature of what it means to be in the body of Christ, it's also one of the distinguishing features of real relationships, healthy relationships, finding ways to be united even in our differences. The only way to stay connected for the long haul in a relationship is to find some sort of common ground, some sort of unifying measure, unifying space where we can at least exist together. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12 is part of a larger chapter. In fact, if you were to go back and read the full chapter, you would notice that it starts with a message to husbands and wives. But then it continues. It continues where we pick up with verse 8, where Peter then talks to all people. He talks to the entire church, whatever church is reading this. And he reminds them that they need to be united in spirit. Notice that they're not talking about being united in a mission statement or being united in some sort of of identity or anything other than being united in God, united in the spirit, united in Christ Jesus himself. Peter sees that this unity is the glue that keeps everyone together. But then he continues on talking about how relationships can stick together and what relationships look like when they're harmful. Now, I want to remain here at first with this idea of unity in spirit. What does it mean for us to be united in spirit in our relationships, in the, in the most important relationships in our lives, our core relationships? Now, we talked last week about the first part of the core element, the core element of Uh, of real relationships, and that is commitment, right? We have to be committed to the other person, whether it's family, friends, church, or even our marriages. We've got to have some level of commitment to stay at the table. But we just don't stay at the table. We have to 
be in a relationship, right? We have to grow together. And that's what we're talking about today, oneness. We'll continue next week and the week after looking at respect and evolving together, growing together. Because it's not just about what we are now, it's who we are growing into as well. Core relationships, oneness. What does it mean for us to be one? You know, I, I think about this in terms of different imagery. Oneness in popular culture sometimes is talked about sort of two people who are very different finding themselves as the missing pieces to each other. Cue any Hallmark movie, right? The missing pieces to each other. Or maybe that Jerry Maguire thing, you complete me, right? And, and you know, if you think about relationships sometimes, we do since, uh, tend to find friends or uh, our romantic partners that are different from us, right? You know that phrase, opposites attract? In fact, if you've ever heard of the Clifton Strengths uh, process of finding your top five strengths, this is something that happens not only in the business world, we can also use it in the church. What they find is, is that most married couples, if you take those surveys, the top five of one person in the couple is usually somewhat or mostly different of the other person. In fact, if you, you'll be shocked by this, if you actually pay more money, you get your full report instead of your just top five, good business strategy. But if you get your full report, they find that some couples, their strengths are the weaknesses in the other person and vice versa. So opposites sometimes do attract. Sometimes even our friendships, right? We find someone that we have common ground with, common interests with, but they may not be exactly like us. They may not think exactly like us. And yet we find a way to be united and have and maintain those friendships. The jigsaw piece, I know it's, it's a very romantic way of looking at things, but one issue with the, the jigsaw piece is that there are other sides to every piece, right? There are other open, exposed, incomplete areas. Maybe for us, we need to stop thinking about our relationships as the things that complete us, even though there are some blessings to having someone who is different from you, that helps push you, helps you grow. I know that in my relationship with my wife, it is a very good thing that I am not as opinionated as her, as she is. We get along great. We, we renovated our home uh, several years ago, and I wanted three things done. And two of the things I wanted was a certain flow of air in the bathroom and in the kitchen. I wanted to be the one that chose the vents. She could do whatever else she wanted. It didn't bother me at all. You know, so in a sense, that was perfect because she got to make all the decisions she wanted to. Now, but in a sense, those blessings, again, can be good, but they're not the definition of a healthy relationship. It may be a perk of one. Instead of thinking of our relationships as the jigsaw pieces that kind of complete each other, I wonder if we could think about it in a different image. And I've got one here. This is, if you know it, a Venn diagram, named after Vin Diesel, the actor. <laughs> I'm kidding, that's not, that's not it. A Venn diagram, right? Two unique separate circles that overlap, and in the overlap is where they find similarity. 
I wonder if this is a better way of thinking about our relationships and oneness. You know, when you think about oneness, we sometimes think about uh, being so united that we're of the same mind that there's hardly any difference between us. This has some merit. If you were to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, 8, verse 8, you'll notice that that unity in spirit can actually be translated in Greek into single-mindedness. Single-mindedness. Or even harmony. Be harmonious. Now, a harmony is made up of two different notes or more, correct? Different notes that when they're together, make a chord or make beautiful music. So being in harmony is not about being the same exact person and thinking the exact same way on everything. It's finding harmony. Single-mindedness is not even having the same thoughts about everything. In fact, Paul and Peter both talk about it in terms of different people having the same mind, and the mind is that of Christ. To have Jesus be the way we think and the way we see things and the way we act. So harmony is what we're looking for, not to, in a sense, get rid of the uniqueness of every individual, but to find ways that they can blend together, they can overlap together. Now, this can be done wrong in relationships if we're not careful, whether it's friendships, family, whatever. Sometimes we are in relationships where we're stubborn, you know, the exact opposite of Julie and me when it comes to renovating our house. I've met one of the most stubborn couples who might exist who cannot agree on anything. In fact, when it comes to anything in their home, they don't try to work out a compromise. They try to do enough research to figure out why the thing that they really want is what the other person wants as well. And you won't believe this. They do different research and find very different answers about almost everything. They can't really find a way to compromise. So instead of two circles finding commonality, finding common ground, it's actually two circles moving further apart. And that's not a real relationship. Now, that doesn't mean that stubborn couples cannot find that unity. It takes time and practice and effort. But Peter tells us there's something else that can be wrong in our relationships when we're not moving towards two unique circles overlapping towards oneness. He talks about people that do evil to one another or people who abuse others. Now, Peter does say we're not supposed to repay evil with evil or abuse for abuse. But it's clear that Peter does not want people to exist in relationships where evil or abuse is done to them. Just look at the last verse in chapter, 12, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, where he says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, but the face of God is turned away from those who do evil. So God does not want our relationships at any level to have to endure abuse because that is often one circle telling the other circle to get in line, to conform, to do it my way or the highway. And that's not what a real relationship looks like. That's not real oneness. It's about two unique individuals finding that commonality, common ground. It's not about the jigsaw piece. It's about us finding ways to develop oneness. There was a, a quote that I found recently that essentially said that 
Oneness is a journey. It's a journey to overcome the negative, to strengthen the positive, and to find ways to build bridges, build bridges, connecting points that become strong connections that last a lifetime. Oneness is a journey. It's not just simply being thrown together and being stuck with one another. It is a journey of finding that commonality and that common ground between the two. In the church, you'll notice that almost every scripture that talks about becoming one often has the idea, or at least the spirit, of the vine and the branches, that the more connected we are to God, the more connected we are to Christ, the more connected we are to one another. Now, I don't have a slide for this, but I want, to, I want you to imagine a triangle, if you will, right? A triangle where the top of the triangle is God, and the bottom is everybody else and you. The more that we ascend towards the top, the apex of that triangle, the closer we are getting to Christ and to one another. So the idea for us is that the closer we become to Christ, the more we spend time with God, the more that we pray and pursue a pathway to community in Christ and service to Christ, the more that we are put in unity with other people. The same, in a sense, goes with our relationships, especially as Christians. The closer that we become to God, the more we become closer to others in our lives. And that forces us to deal with our differences as well as to find rootedness in those overlapping areas of our lives. Real healthy relationships highlight the commonality instead of trying to focus on the negatives, the differences. In fact, if you were to look at uh, one of the most important, if you will, magical words for oneness in relationships, it's the word with. Now, the word for is not a bad thing in relationships. I would argue the word for is essential. We need to do things for one another. We need to serve one another. We need to compromise for and with the other person. We need to, of course, sacrifice for the other. But that only goes so far. If we only focus on what we do for the other, then it can become a competition. And you can start naming all the things you've done for the other person. Instead, that word with is what really builds unity. It's what really builds that common ground. When we do things with the other person, when we spend time with our friends, when we spend time with our family, when we spend time as a couple, we can, again, broaden, deepen that overlap, that, if you will, common ground, and it becomes the glue that holds us together. When we spend less time together, we end up drifting away from each other. And so that commonality, that common ground, that, that time together is valuable. We have to have it in real relationships. And it becomes a challenge when we're so busy and drawn in every direction. It becomes important to develop time for oneness, for unity. We do this in church by worshiping together by joining together in mission, not by going off in our own different directions, but by coming together. It makes us stronger as a whole versus divided as singles. The same goes with our relationships. The more we are focused on oneness and doing things with one another, the stronger these relationships are. 
I want to say to you that you need to think about ways in which to foster the connection, to deepen the time together in your most important relationships, your friendships, your family, whatever. Find time to spend together. Focus on the positives. Focus on the commonalities. Find that common ground and common interests. If you don't have it, build it. And the other is to focus on what unites you instead of what divides you. Focus on the things that matter. And then finally, when the relationship is imbalanced, when one is not in line in harmony with the other, find ways to get back in harmony together. Whether it be spending time or admitting that you may have been wrong. Because what's really important is to have people that you share those special moments and memories with. In the end, we will care much more about what's in that middle section than we ever will about what's on the outside. In our relationships, the more we grow towards Christ, the more we grow towards one another. And the more that we find that common ground, the healthier our relationships will be. Don't let time slip by. Don't let the opportunity to be together slip by because these are the precious moments that build real relationships. Would you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we thank you for the gift of your son and for your love that fills us, that heals us, and that helps us to see how we can love and serve our neighbors around us. Oh God, find ways to bind us together that we might forever be those who live in love and care and tend to the most important relationships in our lives. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.